0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
2: What's good, Wild Black? This is Vince coming to you before an episode so you know it's something important, probably more so than most of my messages, because this is about how we build together. I've already told you that we launched on Patreon, patreon.com slash wildblack, and I've already talked to you about the benefits. It's things like a members-only monthly Q&A, Wild Black behind the podcast, monthly bonus episodes, extended interviews, how-tos, things that really enrich you. But in addition, we've got our Discord community and exclusive voting power. But what I'm most excited about is the conversation between you and I. I often wonder to myself, why does anyone listen to Wild Black? What is it that they get out of listening? And Patreon gives us the opportunity to be secure in what that answer is. I'm no longer going to have to Guess and assume what interviews the culture needs. I want to talk directly to the culture. I want to talk directly to you. Let's figure out what we can do together. What episodes do you want to hear? What guests do you want to hear from? Hell, which one of you needs to be a guest because you've got something to say and something to teach? Do us all a favor. Hit up patreon.com slash wildblack. I'll see
3: you there. Peace. There's a lot of times when we are looking um, for our purpose in life. I think the the best indicator uh, of what our purpose is supposed to be, not not our job, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, not not our profession, but our purpose. I think our purpose is to be for someone else what we once needed. Yeah, well, um that's, that's and, and, and that's what it's all about. And and for me, when when I realize how was, someone really changed my life, um I knew I had a responsibility. And that's one of the things that I tell my students all the time is with privilege comes the responsibility to serve. There's nothing wrong with privilege. You know, and I think a lot of times nowadays, you know, people get, you know, kind of sensitive and they're embarrassed about the fact they came from privilege. No, there's nothing wrong with you coming from privilege. The question is, what are you gonna do with your privilege? Do what you're Do what you're Do what you're Do what you're Do what you're
1: Welcome to Wild Black, a seriously opinionated podcast bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all black everything.
2: Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black.
0: Welcome back, welcome back, people.
2: You know, we we say it all the time i mean it every time when i tell you we have an amazing episode for you the brother with us today i'm so excited to have him with us because i've seen his work not and i don't mean just like on tv or on youtube or, or i heard about it but i've seen his work up front and up close and we'll get into some of that but before we start i want to introduce what we're going to be talking about today and this one again is personal for me because i've been affected by this brother and his world so For me, there are moments when the intersection of people and words make a mark on your person, your mind, your heart, your soul. And when that happens, you never lose that memory. You never lose the inspiration or the conviction that that person and their words burst into your soul. I have a few of those moments. Now, you've heard of a lot of them here, but I'm going to go through four or five anyway. The first time I read James Baldwin's quote, to be Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost all the time. That one spoke to me because it gave me a rationale for how I was feeling day in and day out. It made me remember that I was normal and it was okay. When Bernie Mac said, I think it was in House Party 2, if people don't like you when you're being yourself, fuck them. Fuck them. Now, (laughs) you may laugh about that. But for me, it reminded me that I did not have to care what you thought about me because I was me and I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. When my father said, I don't care what it takes. If you want something, you have to be the one to go get it, to do it, but you don't have to do it alone. Mm -hmm. That one for me gave me permission to be relentless in my pursuits of all things that I wanted. And it gave me permission to go and get help. Mm-hmm. It tamed my ego, if you will. And when I heard today's guest say we have to be intrusive in spaces that are not inclusive, that one, gave me to, that one gave me permission to be even bolder in my approach to the world and how I allowed myself to shine in it. I have remembered that quote since the very first time I heard him say it, it matters to me. Now, something else our guest today said Stories change people more than data and information ever will. And that's why we're here today. Because he has a story and a journey that I have no doubt will change you. It's a story that I I think will help you realize your own story, your own passion, your own purpose. Today we're taking a journey and it's going to lead you through a number of places from struggle and frustration to confusion. It's going to be about overcoming inspiration and achievement. Today, we're going to talk about statistics, but we're going to hear how to beat them and not become them. You're going to hear about redefining your personal truth for the world, but more importantly for yourself, and you'll learn how to access, ability, and opportunity are poise for you to claim should you choose them. But remember, like my father said, you don't have to do it alone. Family, I'm going to shorten this one and get to it because it's going to be an amazing episode. I want to welcome Brother Brandon Fleming to Wild Black. He is an author, an educator, a speaker, a founder, a bridge builder, man of service, and most importantly, a survivor. Brandon, brother, welcome to Wild Black.
3: Brother, thank you so much for having me, man. I'm so
2: honored to be here. Man, you, you, you cannot be as honored to be here as we are to have you here wow. with us. Now, family, you have heard from his organization before. You have heard from some of his staff before, his leaders before, his educators before. We're going to talk about all that, but before we do any of that, We got to get in this wild black shit. All right, brother, you ready? All
0: right. Real simple. Three questions get you warmed up. First two get you warmed up. And the third one is our signature question that we ask every single guest. Okay. Everybody love the third one. So if you ready, we can jump right in. Let's do it. All right. First one, we're going to do some music trivia. Oh, okay. This 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 is a good one. All right. So right after Ice Cube woke up in the morning and then he thanked God, what kind of breakfast did his mama cook? Oh snap. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, hold on. You got to go through them lyrics? Yeah. Oh, Just think. like, you know, I got to think. Yo, I uh, can't remember. I, I don't, I don't know, that? but today <laughs> <he> seems kind of <laughs> odd. No barking from the dogs. No smog. <laughs> mama cooking breakfast with. No hog, no brother. hog. No
3: yeah. hog <laughs> I missed yeah. that one, man. I mean, I, I'm gonna redeem myself yeah. on the next one. Okay. we got okay. number faith, number yeah. faith.
0: Yeah, that one was a little. You gotta, you gotta kind of go. You through, work that, through that, through that, through that, that track one. Yeah. though. Like that was that, that was not a that need was an warm up for that one, You yeah. know what, <laughs> what I'm saying? <laughs> all right, all right. So second question: How many times did Outcast apologize for making Miss Jackson's daughter cry? You, you gotta hit a B for that was it. <laughs> never,
1: never meant, meant to, to make, make your, your daughter, daughter
0: cry. cry. I apologize.
2: A thousand? There you go. Yeah, right. there you go. <laughs> no, he was a little shaky with
0: it. <laughs> like, uh, was it a thousand?
2: Yeah. Oh, I a million. Apologize a thousand. Ta- no, it's a trillion. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's a trillion. I had to think. It's a it's trillion. A trillion? Yeah. I'm sitting here thinking, like, wait a minute. You sure? Yeah, it's a trillion. We're gonna
0: have to look
2: the lyrics up on yeah. that. Way. It's a trillion. It's a trillion. I apologize a trillion times. Yep. I'ma double oh,
0: check. Oh, okay, okay. I was thinking it was a meal, but it but that's some outcast shit, though. He would say a trillion,
3: <laughs> though. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it started with a T. We often you lose our cards.
0: <laughs> let's see, let's see. I in big pimping. What was UGK spending? <laughs> dur, dur,
2: dur, dur. I love it. I love it when we stumble. <laughs> Big pimp and spending. Was it cheese? Cheese. That's it. That's it. There we go. Yeah. He gonna kill this last
0: one. Yeah. And juicy, who did Biggie say was all up in the limousine?
2: It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. So i peppy
3: and heavy. <laughs> salt and pepper and heavy D. Okay, yeah. there we go.
0: <laughs> there we go. Bingo. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. you,
2: you. you
3: right, I ain't losing my black car. car. No, you, you you good. you good.
0: You made it. You made it. So, you know what? We're going we to jump into. Um...
1: If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive at
2: participating
0: McDonald's. The lat- the our signature question. Okay. You just gonna skip the educated question? Oh, what kind man, of shit? I, I, you know what? I missed that educated question.
2: Okay. See, that's because you got a PC. That's the problem.
0: Oh bro. shit! There we go.
2: There <laughs> oh we go. damn! That's because you got
0: they a go PC. They go to Mac. They damn. go to the Mac. Conversation pop it out. My, I can touch my screen though. Yeah, I can't touch. Well, yeah, I can you, touch mine. It just don't. Have it have don't do. That. <laughs> yeah. It, <no. laughs> All right. Second question. You are an educator who has inspired more people than we can count. And inspiring educators must know other inspiring educators. So, of the list of the, these below folks, which inspiring educator stands out the most to you? Okay. Furious Styles. Lawrence Fishburne from Boys in the Hood. <laughs> he got a smile on his face <laughs> on that one. Fudge. What the direction you thought we was going? <laughs> uh uh-uh. He probably was like, <laughs> this is f- <laughs> fictional. <laughs> uh, Fudge, Ice Cube from Higher Learning. Claire Huxtable. Felicia Rashad from The Cosby Show. Pops, John Witherspoon from Boomerang. <laughs> Gotta coordinate. And Quentin, Terrence Howard,
2: you know, character in the best man. <laughs> oh, he was an educator. <laughs> he was always talking some games. That nigga was... Yeah, okay,
0: okay. Um, Annalise Keaton. Viola Davis from How to Get Away with Murder. Yo, I'm going to go with Annalise
3: Keaton, yo. <laughs> oh, really? I yeah, yeah. was going to yeah. go with that one. Why? Yeah. She the truth. And How to Get Away with me, She Murder, she's, she's firm... I mean, she's she's brilliant, mm-hmm. but she's she's mad human. Yeah. Like deeply flawed. And and I think we really get to see in her what we don't get to see in in a lot of educators, which is their humanity.
2: Yeah.
3: You know what I'm saying? Like and, and it's one of the things that I share with you all the yeah. time is we, we tend to think of, of teachers as other than human.
2: Yeah.
3: Like then think about when you was a kid and you saw yeah. your teacher at the grocery store and you like, Miss Johnson? Like, like is it you you, like You, you shop? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? It's like, yo, like, why was that so surprising to see you? It's because we don't usually see their humanity. You know, we see them as something different. Yeah. And um I, I think we got to really see what uh what a lot of people struggle with when, when they're trying to when they're chasing impact and significance, but they're but they're still deeply broken.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I guess that was the obvious choice too. I was pulling for Furious Styles. Really? Furious, furious, he just, he always had some dope. He always laid it down. Uh, Always did. But it ain't my show. So.
0: I feel you on that one, though. I, I, I could go with that. I like that one.
2: Y'all just gonna leave pops out
0: there? Oh, th- yeah. <laughs> didn't he pop? You, his education wasn't that, that strong, <laughs> you know, when they that impactful. All right, this is our signature question What do you love? Most about life while black.
3: Mm. I mean, you know, I think my answer might seem a bit obvious, but it's but it's real, and I think it's uh, it's culture. Mm. It, the the culture of of black people is is so rich and and edifying. You know, I, I feel like a lot of times people get locked into a a grayscale version of existence. But, but black culture fills in the lines with color, mm. you know, with, with flavor. And, and we have a tendency to take everything and, and make it better. You know, I mean, we have brilliant artistic minds full of creativity and ingenuity. Um, and I take pride in that shit, you know. Yeah. So I, I think that's what I enjoy most about living while black. I love that. Yeah. I love that. We fill in the
2: colors, redraw the lines. I love that. We changed the, the damn landscape of the pitching, don't Yeah, we? man. All right, I'm going to hit That's you with a true. dope quote, and then we'll have a really short conversation about it and get into the meat of this thing. So the dope quote for our listeners is something from science or religion or history, entertainment, doesn't really matter. It's got impact on the culture and impact on our conversation today. And today is actually one of the few that are not black. Education breeds confidence. Confidence breeds hope and hope breeds peace by confucius when you hear that what comes to mind for
3: you mm. what comes to mind is is actually something that i said in in my book which is uh, freedom without hope is like living in a black hole yeah. you know and it, because we all want to be free but but the, the difference between
1: at state farm we're committed to uplifting black futures Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
3: Um, a, a lot of us who who prosper, and, and a lot of us who perish, is is purpose. Yeah. It's it's hope. Yeah. It's it's all of us are out here chasing, searching for something, whether we know what it is or not. Yeah, you know, and and some people really don't necessarily think that they have anything to to live for. Yeah. Um, and to find yourself in a state, which I've been in that place before, to find yourself in a state of, of hopelessness is to find yourself in a state of purposelessness. Yeah. And um, that's what it makes me think about, man. Yeah. Art, right, what do you think when you hear it, bro? The first thing I think is I wonder if
0: Confucius was black. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> that was my, my first thought, thing. right? <laughs> like, was, it, it, So, as a pathway to peace, the root is education. Right, like so. So he's he's painting this picture in my mind that says, okay, in order to get to what humanity would consider peaceful holistically, there has to be a level of education at the foundation, and that means holistic education for everybody. Right, and I, I like that. I didn't even like the confidence breeds hope. I didn't even think through like that piece because I was I'm stuck on education, and then peace. like mm-hmm. the, It's like a pathway he's trying, yeah. to, he's trying to paint. I thought it was kind of dope. It felt like he was black.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what, what really popped out to me on this one wasn't the words. It, it wasn't the fact that he was talking about education and leading to confidence, and confidence leading to peace. For me, as I thought about today's conversation and what we need much more of in our world, I thought about the gaps here. Right. So for me, it wasn't about education breeding confidence. It was about before the word education, that there's a space. What goes in that space that brings about the education? Yeah. In between confidence and education, there's a gap, right? There's someone, something, something happens, some moment who helps to move you. There's a vehicle that goes from education yeah, to confidence. Yeah. And I started thinking about those gaps because I think that's where you sit. Yeah. Right? I, I think that our educators, the folks who inspire, our activists, our authors and our society, even our entertainers and, and our artists to some degree, have these super important roles that we don't always understand. We don't always give them credit for, but they sit in between the gaps and fuel where we see the excellence, right? We, yeah. we, we praise the people that they educate on what they do, but we don't often look at the gap and who prepared them to be where they are. Like, that's what I thought about. Like, th- those gaps— are really, really important. It almost takes me to like when you look at a tombstone, people talk about the birth date and the and the death date, but the importance of that dash. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I wanted to be able to dig into today. I wanted to be able to talk about how you began to fill these gaps and what you're doing through your book, through your speaking, and through the school and the program. And so Listeners, what I want to do is I've purposely not gone deep into it yet, but what I want to do now is I want to tie Brandon back to a few of our older episodes. We had Kelly Britton here who talked about education. She talked about the Harvard Debate Council Diversity Project. Brandon is the founder. You heard him mention his book, Miseducated. He's the author of a book that is helping people to understand how to work through their own life and build a bridge from where they were to where they need to be. These are the things that you're going to expect to get inside these episodes. And these are the things that I want you to get from his words, from his book. Go look him up on YouTube. There's a bunch of stuff out there for you to sit back and listen to. And it is not your everyday run-of-the-mill inspirational speaking. And I I don't want to play down what anyone does. But he speaks from a place of experience and passion and real-life stories, and there's stories that many of you will be able to relate to. And that's why today's episode is, is so critically important. So before we move into the real first questions, Brandon Brother, if you would just take a moment and tell people about the Harvard Debate Council Diversity Project and a bit
3: about your memoir. Absolutely. So the Harvard Debate Council Diversity Project is a subsidiary of the Harvard Debate Council at Harvard College um, what we do is we we recruit um, black students, black and brown students here in Metro Atlanta. Um, and we we look for kids who have never been exposed to academic debate, you know, and we train them for one year and we send them to Harvard University to the Harvard Debate Council's summer debate residency um, where they study alongside and compete against. Um, hundreds of get the Young scholars from over twenty five countries around the world, Brother, we're talking about there are countries who send their best debaters to Harvard to study and compete mm-hmm. at this residency. And so our kids, you know, obviously we we know that there's a a, a disparity that exists, a learning gap that exists. Right. you know for for our kids who tend not to have the same type of exposure. As uh, get the students from all around America who attend the best private schools, prep schools, boarding schools, and who have had access to this type of higher level training for uh, most of their lives. Our kids who don't have access to that kind of training in their traditional school settings, um, we understand that and sort of level the playing field for them. We spend an entire year um, introducing them to higher level academic disciplines such as philosophy, political science, sociology, psychology, anthropology, social sciences, humanities, debate, rhetoric, all that good stuff. Um, And we send them to Harvard, and they compete. And uh, for five years in a row, since the program's inception in 2017, every cohort that we have trained here in Atlanta has won that global competition at Harvard. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about.
2: And and real quick, just just because I've been in proximity to this for several years now. When you say compete, what you mean is they showed up, they showed out, they beat every team that was there. From around the world. Around the world. Teams that have, in many cases, been practicing debate and studying debate for years mm-hmm. upon years upon years. And you bring students from Atlanta who have no debate history, and you train them not on debate for a full year, but on all the various aspects that create a well-rounded individual. And then you talk about debate at the end, and they go there and wreck and, and, and shop, right? Yeah. I just wanted to add that clear Yeah. Yeah. A little additional flex on that. Just a little little, little bit. And and listeners, I I add that because my son has been blessed to be in this program. And we've had students from this program on the show. I think we've had four shows around you all now. We did Black History Month two years in a row, Kelly Britton Raising Excellence. Last year, the year before last, we had the Harvard kids, the Harvard Young Adults. Come back. They hosted the show. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And they came back and performed some of their most powerful pieces from history. Yeah. So if you have not heard those episodes, and I know our Revolt audience is new, go back. Dig into those episodes and find yourself blessed. I'm sorry, brother. Tell them about the memoir.
3: Yeah, so the memoir. Is brother doing um, it out here. So it's, right? it's, called, it's called Miseducated. And, and it tells my story of how I basically made it out of um, growing up in the, in the, in the street life. Um, and how I made it from the street life to to Harvard University, yeah. um, and, and everything that happened in between, and and it's literally the journey of me discovering um, who I am—not just as a professional, but as a person, yeah. um, and what I'm called to do in this earth, yeah. you know. And so that's basically what the uh, what the memoir is about, and and it's inspired by uh, the title um, Carter G. Woodson's uh, Miseducation of yes. the Negro. Um, Because we really have to delve into the nuances of what it means to be miseducated. You know, um, a a lot of times, you know, when we look at young people um, who who fall to the margins, we make so many assumptions uh, about who they are. Right. Um, We might claim that they're inept. We might claim that they're dumb. Um, we might slap them with a whole bunch of labels, but not often do we look at them and say, you know what, they are miseducated. Right. Well, what does that mean? It means their condition is not their fault. Right. Every single one of us, whether we are born in poverty or whether we are born in privilege, we are all conditioned by circumstances that we did not choose. One hundred. The reason why I say that I was miseducated is because my identity, um, my purpose. And my choices were all conditioned by the, the by the environment that told me who I was, yeah. and I believed it. I believed yeah. it until access and exposure showed me something different. Yeah. Until um, somebody came along, you were talking about that gap. What happens in between? Oftentimes, it's a person. It's yeah. a catalyst. It's an impetus. Yeah. Somebody who's able to step into our lives and say, no, that is not who you are. You are not no thug. You yeah. are not a gangster. You are not only meant to be an athlete. You are a powerful, young, black man who can speak with passion and poise and who has the capacity to change lives and change narratives. That's who you are. When I finally have somebody like that in my life, I believe them, and, and I discovered my calling to help other young people understand that same thing about themselves.
2: We were placed on this planet, on this earth to both be helped and be helped. Yeah, yeah. And that is the only way we ever get anywhere that we want to be. Brother, you're going to make me go get a laugh, apl- a, You know, not a laugh, an applause track to add to the show. <laughs> you're going to make me get a, a damn applause track to add to the show. So <laughs> why well, he hit the bunch. Right.
3: <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you as you talked about your life, and you talked about your memoir, Miseducated, what it sparked for me is this thought, because I want to give people, they'll, they'll hear part of your story, but I want people to stop listening to the episode when it's finished, Wild Black Family, and go and get the book.
3: When something happens to your kitchen, you might say,
0: This is ludicrous.
3: But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludacris. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us.
1: Thanks, Mr. Chris.
3: No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. So
2: I want to give them a little bit more about your life, but I want to do it in a different kind of way, right? Okay. We live in this world of bite-size, consumable content. Everything's an Instagram reel, or I don't know what a TikTok is called. Is, is it just called a TikTok? Yeah, I think it's just a TikTok. Just a TikTok, it's a TikTok yeah.
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> I don't fuck with TikTok.
2: But, <laughs> but we live in this, in, this, in this space. So what i love for you to do is put your creative hat on for a moment. And if you were to think about... Your life, from the struggle in the streets, to Harvard, to HDCDP to the book and to the book tour, and everything that's coming after it. If you had to break that down into a 30-second movie trailer, how would you script it?
0: Mm.
2: And I'm thinking along the lines of things like, you know, a young man
1: <laughs> born <laughs> from <laughs> right. yeah. story. Like, how how would you do
2: it? Um,
3: and you got the voice too to hit him with that with, that with that baritone kind <laughs> of. I was scripted as man, a a young man who lost his way, and and was fortunate enough to encounter the compassion of a teacher that changed his life, helped him understand his calling. He was given a second chance. And understood that that second chance was not about him. That second chance was was all about using his failures and his successes to build a bridge for other people to be able to have the life that he always longed for when he was Mm. a child. I feel you. And he discovered that it was his calling to be what he needed when he was younger um, and to be that for other people. And while he could not change his life, he had the capacity to change the lives of others.
2: Amen to that. You said one word, and I want to go someplace with it. Probably most of our listeners, most of the the family today is expecting us to spend a lot of time focusing on the hardships that you went through that were out of your control Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and on the successes that you've been able to create. And while I want to talk about all that, you said the word failure. And inside of every single success story, it's three times the failure. Yeah. Right? So, what has been your best failure? And what did you get from it?
3: Oh, man. I, I think my, my best failure, it, it wasn't a singular moment. Mm. It was a period of my life that was disguised as failure. Mm. And, and the reason why I say that is because oftentimes we, we don't understand how much... Um, seeming failures actually propel us toward where we uh, need to be, Amen. and and I think my entire my childhood looked like failure. You know, my teenage years looked like failure. Um, and but when I look back in retrospect, I I realize that all of that was necessary because one of the things I've always asked myself is like, did it, did it really take all that? that i really have like was there's not a shortcut <laughs> you know what i'm saying about going to like if i like if i was going to be when doing all this go? work that i'm doing right <laughs> now like was there not an easier way um that easier path would not have shown me would not have equipped me with everything that i need to be who i am for other people in this moment yeah and and so that that roundabout meandering journey is where i acquired every tool Every piece of knowledge. It's where I acquired the empathy that I needed in order to do this work that I'm doing right now because it's hard work. Yeah. It's hard work. And so I had to go through that path of failure. I'm with that. I'm with that. Art, right, bro, for
2: you, does, does, are there any failures that stand out for you? Mm. There's so many. <laughs> I think it. Right, I felt I feel like every single day.
0: Yeah. Like, I, I, I think what the brother said was so spot on, though. Like, you cannot be where you need to be without going through some of the things that we consider failures. And, I mean, it's a compounding thing. The cool part about it is recognizing what they are and then being able to tie them to, oh, shit, if I hadn't learned that lesson, I wouldn't have been able to get past this yeah. one crazy yeah. obstacle, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, that, I think, is the the key to, like, that continued growth is is... Figuring out, oh, it's going to be some failures. Like, it ain't, shit ain't nothing going to be smooth. Yeah. yeah. It's figuring the failures out to how they are now enabling you to, to kind of get to that next step.
2: Failures help you find the pieces of you that lead to the piece for you. Like, that. that's how I've always kind of looked at it. It's, well, you got me, bars
0: today, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> you? got bars. Put that on a, put yeah. a beat behind that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. For, for me, it I, like, I talk to people about just how often I fail. Yeah. but. I also had to learn you know, how to fail, right? Like yeah, conversation yeah, with my father. It. I had to learn how to fail. And, and once, once I did, that made all the difference in the world. Then I began to like, expect the failure. And yeah. There, there are aspects it. of me who, who look for it, right? Because I, where, whereas I don't want to get something wrong and I don't want to miss an opportunity, I love an opportunity to learn and be better and be made yeah. better and then to bring better back to the people around me. Like That's, that's what I learned inside of all the failures that I've had. But in your failures and in your experience, there's always a story. And in this case, on Wild Black, we talk about heroes and the fact that I don't necessarily believe in heroes. I don't believe that Batman is coming to save us. I don't believe Superman is going to fly out the sky. But what I do believe in are superhero moments, right? That we as everyday, ordinary people have superhero moments. And when we receive those, when we accept those, when we step into that place, we can have extraordinary impact on our world. And our moments can last for a moment, a day, sometimes a lifetime. And for me, when I look at you, like I see someone who is squarely in the middle of their superhero moment. But what was the origin story? Filled with the failures that led you to
3: where you are today, saving a community. Like how did you get here? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I share with people often is is you cannot truly appreciate who someone has become until you understand where they have been. Amen. Where's that applause track? And and for me, man, my my origin was very, very unlikely. Um, my my life was was filled my childhood. Um, was was filled with um, uh, abuse, mm. um, violence, and 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 it you know I grew up in a home you know with a a stepfather who was a Baptist preacher by day, but by night he was a cocaine addict, mm. and and what he did to me and and my siblings, it it turned me into a, a monster as as a child. Um, because I carried that weight and that pain with me to school at a time where I didn't know how to ask for help. And there's so many young people sitting in classrooms all around the world, they don't know how to ask for help. You know, they don't have the lexicon to be able to articulate their their pain. And so as a result, they're labeled. As a result, they're dismissed. As a result, they're written off. And so for me, I turned to the the one place, you know, since school wasn't safe for me, since you know, um, home wasn't safe for me. I turned to the one place that was willing to embrace me and accept me for who I was, and and that was the streets. Mm-hmm. And so the, the streets gave me, not not because I was inherently bad, but it's because I was guilty of the same thing that every single one of us are guilty of at one point in our lives, is that sometimes we look for love in the wrong places. Mm-hmm. And, and and we accept it oftentimes, you know, from from people who we shouldn't accept it from, from places that we should not go um but but we're all chasing after something and that's love and yeah. that's acceptance and and i found out in, in in the streets you know they they told me who i was you know they showed me what to do and um they became a family to me you know one that i didn't have you know yeah. and so um yeah, man. I mean, that, that was kind of my, my beginnings. The only thing that really saved my life was basketball. You know, um, I went to college to become a, a Division I college athlete, but, but then that didn't work out for me. Right. Um, I ended up drop, becoming a dropout um, at the age of 18 years old. Man, I ended up spending two years slaving every day in a vitamin factory on an assembly line um, for 10 hours a day, six days a week. Um, it was so bad to the point where I, I fell into a deep spell of, of depression. And and because I thought I ruined my life. I I thought I had proven everybody right about what they said I would never be. You know, um, all those teachers, those counselors, those principals, my stepfather, biological father, what everybody said I I would never be. I thought I proved them right. Mm. And um, I was left living a life that I didn't want no more, man. And so um, I actually ended up uh, overdosing on drugs one day. And um, I I tried to take my own life. You know, I I was just in a place, man, where I I felt so... Encumbered by by despair and and hopelessness, like we were talking in the beginning, um, where where I felt like the only way to escape pain and and the only way to escape failure was death, and so that was the route that I chose. You know, but thankfully I wasn't successful. Amen. And uh, and I was given a second chance. Thank God for failure. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's, recoverable failure, right? (laughs) Right, right. You know, because for some people, failure is their demise. But but when we fail, and and it does not and when we fail and we do not perish that that lets us know that we all have the capacity to fail forward you know that that's what it's really about it's it's about Leveraging our failures to get one step closer to success. Yeah. You know, and f- failure is supposed to be, failure is, you know, it, it's interesting, I, I gave, I think this was maybe last year, I actually gave a commencement speech. This speech is actually on YouTube. And um, it was this college graduation and you know, at a college graduation, everybody's looking for an inspirational message. Mm-hmm. They're looking to be encouraged, you know, as they go out, you know, and pursue their dreams. And um, the my message to them was, I hope you fail. Yeah. I hope you fail. That was my message to them, yeah. um, and and the reason why I I hope every person fails is because failure is what gives us um, the the ability to have empathy for others. Yes, you know because if if we don't experience failure, then then we will think that we're all an anomaly we'll yeah. think that we're above everybody else. we won't be able to give somebody else the encouragement that they need to keep on going yeah. and, and so for me that that moment of failure um in that moment of, of pain is when my passion was birthed mm. and and so that moment of failure was really a a birthing moment for me um where where I really came of age yeah that's, I, w-
2: I want to get to some of the Harvard stuff in a minute, but I, I want to also stay there right when you started talking about, Purpose and passion. Sometimes I feel like people expect purpose and passion to dawn on them the way it does in a movie. Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> like,
3: like, <what>?
2: yeah. Right? <laughs> like, oh shit! It's Tuesday, and I now know what the fuck it I'm supposed to be doing. Earth. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: But shit, no, nah, I know. I won't that. say it doesn't happen like that for some. Yeah. But I will say I don't know any of those people. Me right? neither. So. As a matter of fact, I think that before you have that moment of recognition of purpose, actually knowing what it is, you have to have a moment to recognize that you have a purpose and you don't yet know what it is.
3: Yeah.
2: Right? So what I want people to hear you talk about is not only how you found your your purpose, but when you realized you had one, even if you
3: didn't know what it was yet. Yeah, yeah. You know, interestingly— as humans we we all struggle with with the big three questions mm-hmm. you know um and, and those questions are centered around origin, identity, mm-hmm. and purpose mm-hmm. origin, where am i from mm-hmm. who 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 are my people um identity, who am I um and purpose what am I supposed to do you know we 're all in search of, of answers yeah. or, around those three themes. And 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 that's really what, what self discovery is. And so for me, that that actually happened um, in college, where you know when I, when I went after I attempted suicide, I, I was I was fortunate enough to have a second chance to go back to school, but I struggled, man. Mm-hmm. Like you know, and and again, when we talk about how failure uh, eventually can lead to purpose, I failed miserably academically. Y'all, like I'm talking about when I went back to college. I scored in the bottom percentile of the SAT. Right. I could not read well. I could not write well. Um, the only reason why I went to the college that I went to is because they have very forgiving academic standards. Mm. And so, you know, I, I was in college, honestly, with the middle school education level. Wow. And, um, and, and, and kind of funny story, I picked what I thought was going to be the easiest major. You know, so I could coast by. I ended up picking the English, <laughs> which was I'm you know struggling but, with uh, it right <laughs> now. <laughs> you know, my, my logic was you know I, I speak English. <laughs> you know how difficult could it be? But, but, you but know, I'm like, yo, this is gonna be a brother. Wait, you mean to tell me I can major in English? Like, yo, I speak English every day. This is oh, awesome. Man. Commas, exclamation points, <laughs> right. we
1: good. And, and next, Period. thing you know, man, <laughs> like,
3: yo, I end up in these classes. With these professors, you know, who are using all this like sophisticated rhetoric and highfalutin jargon. You know, and, and they want me to read all these books from, you know, American literature and British literature and classical right. literature. You know, the, the, the Odyssey and the Iliad, right. Beowulf, you know. So, <laughs> and I'm like, what in the world? Yeah, I couldn't read those books. You know, I couldn't understand that, uh, that material. Yeah. I couldn't write the essays, right. you know. And so I, I, I fell behind and I was on the verge of becoming a uh, two-time dropout. Mm. My life changed when I experienced the compassion of a teacher because while other professors were were judging me, while other professors were labeling me, while right. while other professors did not have tolerance, you know, for my ineptitude, there was one professor who caught me cheating, and she pulled me into her office, and and when I sat with her, she did not chastise me, she did not berate me. This woman met me where I was. You know, she taught me how to read. You know, she taught me how to how to write? You know, outside of office hours, outside of class time, you know, she would meet me at the local bookstore, teach me how to read, teach me how to write, and the way wow. she did it was so profound. And that's what's the most crazy, um, mm. b- because when she wanted to teach this young black man how to read, how to write, when she wanted to engage me, when she wanted to meet me where I was, she didn't go back to F. Scott Fitzgerald and Jane Austen and Flannery O'Connor and Mark Twain. She introduced me to black writers like Frederick Douglass and Malcolm X. Mm. And, and I was like, what does this old white woman know about Frederick Douglass and, and she black or white oh, You know, wow. she was white. But but it changed my world. And the reason why is because, like, real talk, I did not know that black people could be scholars. Wow. You know, and, and the thing is, you know, people might say, you know, well, what, what do you mean there are black scholars all over the world? Yes, that might be true. There were not black scholars in my world, right? You know, right, not, right. not not in the microcosm in which I existed, where there were black gangsters and black drug dealers and mm-hmm. black athletes. So that's what I aspired to because that's what I had access to. And one of the things that I tell people all the time is that representation is the lens through which we dream. You know, I didn't see black scholars in my community. I didn't see black scholars on my textbooks. I didn't see black scholars on my television, so I couldn't aspire to it. I didn't have access to it. Yeah. You know, but but what she. Did in that moment for me was she helped me understand that young people cannot be what they cannot see, and that we cannot be what we cannot imagine. And in that moment, I, I saw something different—not um, just about myself, but about my people. I saw something uh, about Black people that did not relegate us to a four hundred year freedom struggle, right? Right. And you know, I saw something about about Black people, you know, that that didn't have an origin story that began in Africa. You know, what I'm saying, and and or or, or that began with poverty in Africa. Right. And so in that moment, not only did I learn more about, you know, my people, but I learned more about myself, you know, and I realized that that I was never dumb, you know, yeah. I was never inept, you know, I was, I was simply miseducated, that, that those abilities um, were always in me. All it took was the right person to be able to tap into my latent abilities and to be able to pull it out of me. And, um, that's when my life changed. And that's when I discovered my calling to do that for other people. Man, I love that. God, I love that. Yeah. It, um, I'm going to drop another bar, but this one's not mine.
2: This is okay, uh, Dr. Sherita okay. Howard, who we've had on the show before and who's become a, a friend of mine. She was on a podcast the other day, and I heard her say, there are no dead ends unless we forget to make the turn. Mm-hmm. Right? And as you were talking, that's what I was thinking, because you, you were going through who you were in that moment and the struggle exactly. you had with, with multiple aspects of education but you didn't quit. Yeah. And whether you know why or you don't know why, the fact is that there was a dead end, but you still made the turn. Yeah. And I think what's so powerful about that is your ability to recognize the need to keep going. Yeah. And I want to tie this back to, to passion and purpose. So was there ever a moment while you were going through that that you really considered quitting? And before that professor stepped into your world, what were your plans? How were you going
3: to overcome what you were managing through? I thought about quitting all the time. In fact, I I did quit (laughs) several times, (laughs) you know. um, But but this is really a nod to teachers, man. Because even before that teacher, another teacher that I recall having was one of my coaches. You know, I, I always found myself com- complaining, you know, as a basketball player because of my my height deficiency. Right. You know, I, I knew I was never going to be the tallest on the court, and um, but the thing is, I was faster than everybody. You know, I, I was even stronger than than most people on the court. Um, but every time you know my shot would get get tossed to the rafters by a big seven foot center, you know, I would go back to the bench and I would be sitting there with my arms folded, you know, kind of petulant. You know, my coach would be like, what's going on with you? I'm like, man, I'm so tired. I'm better than these players, but you know, I'm just getting my shot blocked, man. He looked at me. He said, look at me. He said, we don't complain, son. Mm. We compensate.
0: Hey there. Ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster?
3: Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well,
0: get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level.
2: Absolutely. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips.
0: So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.
3: Mm. So we don't complain. We compensate. And it's the same thing that that professor said to me when she looked at me and and she asked me to confront my own inefficiencies, my own inadequacies. And she looked at me, she asked me, she said, what are you going to do about your own disadvantages? You know, see, that's not what we're not used to that kind of language. You know, yeah. we're we're yeah. used to lamenting. You know, we're used to blaming somebody else. Um, but both of them, um, figuratively and literally, put the ball in my court and mm. said, "No, you have the power to lift yourself up, But That changed my. That changed my conscience for the rest of my life, yeah. my, my life, because I at that moment, I realized that there was no circumstance that could keep me down, that i wasn't going to wait for somebody else to come pick me up that I had the power to dig deep, I had the power to lift myself up, you know I had the power to keep going, yeah. you know whether as an athlete or as a scholar. Um, and, and that's what it taught me, you know? And so I, I think, yeah, absolutely. There, there were many times, um, that, that I thought about quitting many times that I did quit. You know, one of the things that we often say, which is something I don't agree with, I'm pretty hurt, pretty sure you've heard people say experience is the best teacher. Right. I disagree. Uh, I think, I think teachers are the best teachers. Amen. You know, I think teachers, I think teachers, <laughs> Amen. I think teachers are in too. place. <laughs> right? I think teachers are positioned. To help us learn from their experiences mm. that yeah. way we don't have to share them yeah you know and so you are a teacher and you're a teacher and I'm a teacher and and what we have to lend to the people that we are raising are not just our successes but our failures yeah. so they can use them as a compass for the places that they do not have to go have to that's that, that's yeah. what we are called to do you know and that's what it means to fail forward and that's what it means to pay for that. The teachers are the that. shortcuts that we've been looking for. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that
0: is the most important profession <clears throat> in existence. 100%. For that yeah. very reason. 100%. Like, your, I, your mom's a, a teacher, right? Yeah. yeah, she, yeah. She, she is a retired teacher. It's, it's like, like, if you have the ability to navigate someone away from something that you've already
2: experienced, Right. why wouldn't you do it? Right. And if right. you could do that and you could scale that shit?
3: Yeah.
2: My thing is, yeah. why wouldn't you want to do that? Like, yeah. We have the I mean it's, it's the reason we created this show. Yeah. To to take our experiences and it's your sure. experiences and everyone we could bring here to help the world help yeah.
3: shortcut maybe.
0: Cheat yeah. code. I don't yeah. know how you call key it. Cheat code, shortcut learnings.
3: And that's all we can do. You yeah. know, because when yeah. it comes to, to to raising up young folk, man, we can't control them. Amen. The the only thing <laughs> we can do is be honest with them. Yeah. About the choices that we made. Yeah. But but a lot of times as young people they, they can't relate to us because we're not honest about our choices. Yep. We hide our failures from yep. them because yeah. we're trying to save face. We seem strange. And that to what does going them a, that does them a disservice because Absolutely. they look at you and they can't relate to you because you don't seem as human as they yeah. are. You know, and so How can we, you help me, you never had this experience. Yeah, yeah, like you, you know? don't ever
0: fail. Look like yeah. you just got it all together.
3: Yeah. No. So the best thing we can do is offer them our experiences. And, and allow them the option yeah. to, to learn from them.
2: Yeah. Well, black family, one thing I want to bring up, I was thinking about as as brother Brandon was talking and he was talking about the professor and, and the coach who stepped into his world and who helped to really change his perspective on, on life and his opportunities. And I have the feeling that as he was talking about that, you thought about the people who did that for you or the people that you need to do that for you. And I, and I, I'd offer you a paradigm shift, right? It's, I think it's it's needed that you allow someone to do that for you. But pay attention to your world and where you have the opportunity to be that for someone else. Because there's someone else out there right now who's looking for that professor or that coach to redefine how they see and achieve their opportunities. And that might be where you are positioned in the moment. I just wanted to preach that to you real quick. Brandon, one other question on this topic. You talked about coming from an environment that limited your belief in black folks overall, right? You yeah. didn't know that black folks could be educators, right? There, there wasn't a window with the horizon big enough for you to look out and see something different than what was in the street in front of you. So in your case, people came into your world and helped you to dream further than you can see. But now that you can see a, a horizon so big, so bright and so far away, how do you advise people who may be limited by their environment to begin to dream
3: further than they can see? Yeah, and, and let me just kind of modify something that you said, if that's Absolutely. okay. Um, I have always believed in educators, and I've always had educators. We are all products of educators, whether good or bad. 100%. And, and my first educators were, were educators in, in, in what we might refer to in our culture as the school of hard knocks. Yeah, got it. Where, where I remember you know, being, being in New York and, and sitting at uh, my grandmother's house. And, and and my my cousins um, would gather around the table, and, and they would educate me. Class began, and they would teach me about real nigga shit. Right, you know that uh, about what real niggas do. That's lessons know, in there too. Real real niggas don't love women. Mm. You know, real niggas get money. Real niggas slang dope. Mm. I was being educated. I was being miseducated in mm. that moment about who I was and what my purpose and what my calling was. You know, and and I think a, a lot of us find ourselves in, in that position. I mean, um, it wasn't until uh, another c- educator came around who showed me something different, yeah, and, and and taught me something different about who I was, and and so it's exactly what you said. You know, is is a lot of times when we are looking um, for our purpose in life. I think the the best indicator uh, of what our purpose is supposed to be not not our job, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, not not our profession, but our purpose. I think our purpose is to be for someone else what we once needed. Um, And and, and that's what it's all about. And and for me, when when I realize how someone changed my life... I knew I had a responsibility, and that's one of the things that I tell my students all the time: is with privilege comes the responsibility to serve. Yes. There's nothing wrong with privilege, you yes. know. And I think a lot of times nowadays, you know, people get you know kind of sensitive and, and they're embarrassed about the fact they came from privilege. No, there's nothing yep. wrong with you coming from privilege. The question is, what are you going to do with How your privilege? You using, How percent. are you going to leverage your privilege as a as a form of power to be a force for good? Right. You know. And so for me, you know, that teacher that I was given was a privilege. My second chance was a privilege. Harvard is a privilege. The question is, what am I going to do with all those privileges? Mm. How am I going to exercise that power? And Is it just for me to be on a lonely island of success by myself? No, the upward climb and the upward trajectory is, is not about making it to the top. It's about reaching back and pulling others up with us. And I think that is when we start to figure out what we are called to do in life. That is when we go from being happy in moments to being fulfilled for a lifetime when we discover our ability to have an indelible impact on the lives of others. Damn, I got a 13 questions floating
2: in my head at the same exact time. I don't even know where to go. <sighs> yeah, that, that. <laughs> it's like, I, I want to... I wanna talk about Harvard, but I also want to talk about activate, realizing privilege and activating purpose to, to find yourself in, in, in passion. Like I don't I don't know where I want what do you want to do, bro? Like the way my, my mind is splitting yeah, right yeah. now. Where do you want to take it?
3: Yeah, man. Um I I, I think really un- unpacking um what privilege looks like yeah. for, for all of us, you know, because the truth of the matter is privilege isn't just about money. Yeah, wealth man. isn't just about money. Um, wealth is equally about knowledge. Yeah, You know, and um, and, and in that way, again, we are all educators. I, I want us to go beyond thinking of educators as, as those who are confined to the four walls of an institution, yeah. uh, of, yeah. of a building. You know, we are all educators out here, man, showing people the way. Teaching them how to be better than we are. Yeah. You know, and um, part, part of that is about knowledge, part, part of it is about learning, teaching young folk how to navigate. Um, these spaces, because that's in part also about what we're doing with Harvard, yeah. you know, we're bringing them these spaces because, you know, some people, you know, I ain't going to get into the whole HBCU versus <laughs> Ivy League debate. That's, that's not time for that. But 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 fundamentally, people ask me, you know, why, why do you send black kids to Ivy Leagues? Why not HBCUs? I think black kids should go to HBCU. I think black kids should have choice. Yeah. Because that is the definition of privilege. Yeah. The definition of privilege is choice. It's your ability to choose your own path, to yeah. dictate your own future, to write your own narrative. Yeah. That is privilege. And, and for us, what we want to do is, is for, it's not about Harvard. It's about helping them understand power it's about helping them understand how to navigate the world because i think we should exist in every space. Right. Black people should exist in every space. Every every single know? one. And so uh we we want to make sure that they have choices with regard to not just their um you know options for college um, but we want to make sure that we are positioning them to be in control of their own lives and that's what it's about. Yeah.
2: That's that that's a hell of a way to put. It. I I love the fact that Privilege is choice. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You, you, you brought back up Harvard, and you said a couple of times, I think the way you put it was from the streets to Harvard. So we, we've talked about childhood, and we've, we've moved to college, and the, the people who came out of the gaps to, to, to help you refocus. How did you take that and find yourself at Harvard
3: as a debate coach of all yeah. things, right? Yeah, you you know what's so was so crazy? Uh, <laughs> so when I was introduced to, to debate, it, it was transformative for me because when I couldn't play ball no more, I, I didn't have anywhere to to redirect my competitive inclinations. Right. And so when when I discovered debate, after I went through my intellectual metamorphosis, I was like, wait, you mean I can compete academically? Like, this is dope. And so then, <laughs> and, and then I saw the great debaters. And, and when I watched it, you you know how movies dramatize everything. Yeah, so yeah. when I watched it, I imagined myself, you know, <laughs> being on this gladiatorial stage, standing in front of thousands of people debating, speaking with power. Man, I got my ass whooped. I, yo, no, I did, yo. So I joined the debate team at my college, thinking I was just gonna be, you know, like it was in the movie. Yo, them white kids. Yo, them white kids kick my ass. Yo, like I was so embarrassed. I mean, because I had so many learning gaps. You know what I'm saying? And so and, but 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 I started to discover debate at, as a transformative tool. And, um, you know, my life is filled with so many ironies. And, and one of the biggest ironies is that, yes, I'm i an assistant debate coach at Harvard University, um, but I never won a single debate as a debater. <laughs> 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 no, it's not one. Not, not, not. So when we talk about falling forward, brother, I, I am the epitome of that. <laughs> like I've lived this, bro. <laughs> you know, yeah, man. And so, it, it, I mean, it was. It, but but let me tell you what happened. Oh, you got be cracking up. I quit the debate team, right? But it wasn't because I sucked. I quit the debate team because even though I wasn't winning, I was changing. I, I was transforming. And I was like, yo, what if I would've had this experience when I was a kid? Like this, like I discovered, I I felt like I discovered that this solution, this answer. And I was like, yo, why isn't this in black communities? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like if black kids knew that they could, like, yo, that's a part of our culture. Debate, bruh. I grew up going to the barbershop. That's Clean. all we do yeah. is right. debate. Yep. At the, you know, when we get together with our family members, That's all it. we do is debate. At the cookouts, we debate. Debating is who we are as black That's people. That's real. But the thing is, and, and, and so yep. we, we understand that. But, but a lot of times we don't have the exposures and, and the platforms to, to turn our natural proclivities into an art form. Mm. And, and so and so for me, I was like, man, if, if we could only expose black kids to this art form, it would be transformative. And so I quit the debate team because there was these five kids in my neighborhood. Mm. And um, I could relate to them because I was talking to their mothers. And, and their mothers were showing me how one of them had just failed. Another one of them was on the verge of, of dropping out. Uh, the other three were getting in trouble in school. And I said, you know, let me just meet with them on the weekends. And so I started meeting with them on the weekends in, in this dilapidated garage and started teaching them how to debate. Mm. And then all of a sudden something crazy happened. I get there one Saturday. It's not five kids. It's like 10. Mm. And I'm I look I'm like, "Who in the world are y'all?" Like, I'm like, <laughs> "Yo, they brought their friends from the basketball court. They oh, brought God. their friends from the playground." What? And next thing you know, that the next week it wasn't 10, it was like 15. A couple of weeks later it wasn't 15, it was like 30 kids from the inner city who are voluntarily showing up for Saturday school to learn how to debate. Why? Because what happened in that moment, you got to understand what happens to a young person when you tap into the faculties of their mind and you open it up. We're all born with this natural inclination to to question, to be curious, but it's stifled by school. And so what happens is when you open up their minds, they start to discover not only more about the world, but they discover more about themselves. And when you teach them how to use their words, they feel like they have power. They feel like they have power to, to, to change people's minds and they feel like they have power to change things in life. You know, so what we're really talking about is, is, is cultivating a sense of intellectual autonomy mm. where, where we are taking these kids from being compliant to, to teach them how to be powerful and teach them how to be agents of change. And so all these kids from around the community are starting to come, and, and I started this program. While I, this is all while I was in college, I stopped and I started this program, and I, have I was no like, "Yo, did any of that?" I said, "You know what? I think I'm supposed to be a teacher. <laughs> I think yeah. I'm supposed to be." And an, an, but you want to know what's crazy? What's that? When we talk about falling forward, I went back to my my academic advisor and I said, "I got it." I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be a teacher. I said, well, what do I need to do? And he said, okay, here's what you, you need. to Declare your major, secondary education, get in these courses, take these tests. So I did all that, right? Went through all the coursework, all that. Finally, it's time for me to take the final test to become a teacher, to get my praxis so I could start teaching officially. And yeah. guess what? I failed the test. <laughs> And I was like, damn, all right. And, 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 and so they told me, so you know what, it's, it's good, it's good, it's good. You know, a lot of teachers felt but I had teachers that, You know, you keep taking the test as, as many times as you need to. So I was like, all right, yeah. cool. And so I went and I studied. I got the practice study guide, all that. And I was like, bet, all right, went back to the test again. I failed that shit again. <laughs> And at, now I'm scratching my head, like, all like, right, wait a minute. Like, what's going on? Right, wait I was like, minute, all right, this, is good, this time I went and got a tutor and I'm studying for weeks and weeks and weeks. I go back, take the to the, I felt that shit again. Now I'm like, yo, I'm questioning. I'm like, wait, did I miss God? Yo, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I thought I heard my calling, but I'm like, did I hear it wrong? You oh, yeah. know, so now I'm reevaluating my whole existence and my purpose. And yeah, um, and, the confidence and, is <laughs> a little shook at this point. And, 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 and I <laughs> right. went back. You know, I went at the time, I was going to this church, man. I went and I asked the preacher to pray for me, you right. know, so I could pass it and all that. And 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 the preacher, he prayed for me. I studied, and went back, and finally, I took that test for the last time. Hey, that's what's up. I failed that shit again. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: no, is not I'm
0: what even I was wanted to say. I was ready yo, for
3: a start. Four, time time. Up. four <laughs> times in a, you know what's so crazy? I got a headache, Mr. Robinson. You know what's so crazy? I've won so many awards in education to this day, and I am still not a certified teacher. That I never passed wild. that test. What? I never passed the test, but, and, and what that test. And what that tells us is that degrees are not what qualifies us. Right. Certifications are not what qualifies us. Our experiences are what qualify us to do the work that we're doing. You know, no course, um, no test. No, nothing could teach me everything that I learned growing up in the streets, Yeah, um, learning everything, everything that I saw, going through the process of having to remake myself, mm. having to reinvent myself into a scholar. That is what qualified me. That is what equipped me to do the work that I'm doing now, because I understood that if I could transform my own life, I could transform anybody's life. Yeah. That's what I've been doing for 10 years. And that's a hell of a story. That's a hell of a story. Yeah. You yeah. know what? It, it, it's I'm stuck with
0: the kids, right? Like in that garage, like. And I used to. I grew up in the city of Chicago, right? Yeah, in the hood, hood. Yeah, we used to play basketball on crates, on the crates. Yeah, <laughs> on the pole, right? Yeah. To get me away from playing basketball on a pole, to do some educational shit,
2: had to be an amazing draw. There had to be something
0: amazing in that. Not because I had to do it, because I wanted to. And one of my friends told me I should should fuck with it. Oh, that's that's yeah. Yeah. That that's almost like validation, like fuck a test. Yeah. Yeah. That's more powerful than the test. Yeah. And that just reinforces that thought process around, okay, like a certification or a degree cannot make you a teacher. Like
3: it it doesn't do that. Yeah. But what what really qualified me is that all all of that experience, it, it taught me how to, you know, one of the things I tell educators all around the world is that when we look at the plight of American education.
0: Yeah.
3: We don't have a content issue. We have a connection issue. Yeah. What separates me from all those other teachers is while while those teachers, yes, they might know their content. They might know their English, their math, their social studies, their science. They don't know kids. Yeah, they, they don't know our yeah. kids specifically. Yeah. The thing is, when I looked at those kids, I was them. Yep. Yeah. They they yeah. were me. And they yeah. saw you. They saw me and I saw them and they felt seen. You know, and so I knew how to speak their language. And, and And that's the difference is that when it comes to reaching people, you know the best way to reach people is to be able to speak their language yeah. you know yeah. and, and for those young people, I knew how to not just connect with their minds but I knew how to com- connect with their hearts yeah and, and the truth is that's where true change happens, yeah, you know true change comes through the front door of the heart and the back door of the mind, mm. and so if we really want to um, be agents of change. We got to understand the true impetus of change. Mm. And that's why I tell you that professor, what she taught me, you know, when I was in college, you know, became my philosophy of education. And that's love first, teach second. Mm. You know, she loved me.
0: Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
3: She loved me, man. She saw me. Um, she heard me. She valued me. And I felt it. Yeah. And, and because I felt that I trust her in a way that I didn't trust anybody else. And, and she embodied for me what it meant to truly be an educator. Um, and that's what I became for those young people. But it's because I had a model, you know. And so, again, it goes back to exposure. I was fortunate. I was privileged enough to have a model. Yeah. And so I had the responsibility thereafter to be the model, for somebody else. Amen to that. Amen to that. Yep. I, I want to be respectful of, of your
2: time today. So I want to, that's, that's actually a really great point. You talk about having a responsibility to be a model. And, and you took, I'm assuming that you took what you did in that garage with those 5, 10, 15, up to 30 children and have now replicated some form of that yeah. inside of what you're doing for HDCDP, right? Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about Actually, before I get to that, I know every parent listening right now is like, "How do I get my child exposed to that type of thinking?" And parents, I can tell you firsthand, it is of benefit, but it does not come without its stresses. Because <laughs> when you watch your children change yeah. underneath this brother, <laughs> yeah, it is real. But I, I do want people to get a better understanding of what you're doing there, the philosophy you put into teaching. And the impact it has on children. Because again, I say firsthand, I watched my son change three or four years ago, and he's never changed back. Yeah. Right? He yeah. is That's
3: different. That's a powerful young man.
2: True story. True story. He, he is different in the way he sees things, in the way he, con- he consumes things, and in the way he communicates things. And I saw that change happen across that nine to 12-month program under your tutelage. Talk to the people about that a little bit.
3: The first thing we go through when students enter my classroom is an undoing. Hmm. And and it's an undoing of miseducation.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, my kids, they come to us from schools all over Atlanta and and these kids, you know, they think they're gifted. Yeah. You know, and, and, and they come to us and and we tell them, you're really not as good as you think you are. Yeah. In fact, you're better. Because what you think about your ability is what the school system told you. Mm. The bar that you're reaching for is a bar that they set because they think very little about who mm. you are and what you have the capacity to be. So we're going to raise it. We're going to raise it and we're going to push you beyond what you perceive to be your limits. Um, we are going to stretch you further than you ever thought that you could be stretched and it's going to be painful. But the reason why you'll be able to make it is because you can trust us. Yeah, You can trust us. Um, we believe in, in balancing rigor with, with love. You know, we believe in creating an environment that, that is conducive for their success. And, and that's what we do. So we go through a process, man, of undoing, making them unlearn everything they really learned in school about what, what it means to be um, a student. And the commitment that we make to, to parents is that you send us your student, we're going to send you back a scholar. Amen. And that's what we've done. Amen. 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 If you don't want to go into this,
2: we'll pull this part out. <clears throat> for, the, for the parents who don't live in Atlanta or, or the parents who do live in Atlanta and, and don't have the ability, the, the time, they, they can't find their way to the program, are there any plans in place to expand what you're
3: doing so that there is greater reach in the Atlanta area or even in other areas? Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll break a little bit of news here. Nope. Uh, you know, one of, one of the uh, challenges for me as I travel all around the world you know, and speak in different cities and states. So after I finish, you know, parents come to me and, and they're, they're desperate for this kind of opportunity. Black families are hungry for better. We deserve better, but many of them can't find it. And so they asked me and said, you know, what, what can you do? Can, can you start a Harvard diversity project in Chicago? Or, or can you start a Harvard diversity project in, in, in L.A. or Philly? You know, and, and we explored that at first, you know, but then I was like, you know, we did a feasibility study and it just wasn't going to be feasible for us. And then I had an idea. I said, wait, instead of starting a program in, in other cities around the country, what if we built an institution right here in Atlanta that that was specifically designed to meet the needs of black and brown children. What if we built that institution here and invited black and brown children from all over the country, all over the world to come here Mm. to Atlanta to receive an unparalleled, Mm. unprecedented education? And so we are actually in the process right now of building what will become the first boarding school in the world that is specifically designed for people of color. It's Mm. called the Veritas School of Social Sciences, Mm. and it will be opening in a couple of years. Oh, I can't wait for that. So eventually we are going to, we are creating um, the most, what we believe will be the most equitable school in the world. What does that mean? It will be the school that is known for leveling the playing field for black and brown children, because that's what we've been doing for Mm. five years. And so now it's going to scale beyond just being a program uh, to be in a school. Mm-hmm. Um, one that black and brown children from all over the world will be able to come to Atlanta to attend. And I cannot wait to see that.
2: Wow. Listeners, let, let me reground you, right? You, you've you heard him talking about his education and, and the miseducation that he's now helping us to get around. Um, Again, firsthand, I, I can tell you that as these children are in this program, they're changing. The way they study, the things they study, without telling you too, too much, because I want you to dig into this story a bit, I learned right along with my son and many things. There were many things that he began to delve into that no one ever introduced me to. And I'm college educated with a master's degree and 20-something years of experience on the job. There were ideas and ideals that I had never been introduced to that I learned right along with him. And so with that, Brandon, I want to move into the very last question. And this is, it's not a big question. But it's definitely somewhat of an ambiguous question. So you're an educator, a motivator, a change agent, even, even a futurist, right? And, and yeah. I say that because a futurist is, is, act there, is, is actually predicting future events. And in, in your case, you are investing in the future of these children, and you know with a surety who they will become, yeah. right? So I consider yeah. you to be very much a futurist. So let's play on that concept a bit. When you leave here today and you get in your car, I don't know if this is going to happen when you're driving, when you pull over to get gas, when you pull into your home, but imagine that at some point, you're going to be transported to a moment 150 years in the future, 200 years in the future. And the moment you arrive there, you have a vision deeper than you ever had. And what you immediately see are the lives of all the students that you have touched to date and all the ones you'll touch in the future. Yeah. You see their lineage. You see their children, their grandchildren. In some cases, maybe their great-grandchildren. But what you also see are all the accomplishments, all the changes, and all the impacts that every one of them have made. You see it all at one time. Yeah. If you were to close your eyes and think about what does that world look like, what does that world look like?
3: Yeah. Yeah. You you know what's interesting is that as as professionals across all industries, where we're all looking for metrics to to measure our effectiveness mm-hmm. or what we might call success, and there's only one true indicator of success for me. There's only one way that I would know. That, that I was a uh, successful educator, mm-hmm. and it will happen you know in much later in life you know and one of the things that I tell my my scholars all the time is that when when I'm an old man and and my my scholars come back and then they visit me, they'll boast of incredible feats. you know, as you just mentioned, they'll tell me about all their accomplishments. Um, they'll tell me about how much money they're making. Um, They'll tell me about how they climbed the ladder. They'll tell me about all the awards that they won. Um, And I'll look at them and and I'll smile. I'll be happy. I'll be proud. But I'll look at them and I'll ask them, whose life have you made better? Their answer to that question will be the indicator of my success. Mm. Because at the end of the day, what we are cultivating is we are cultivating the next generation of servant leaders we are cultivating the next generation of champions of equity, you know. And, and if these young people don't understand that the purpose of their wealth, the purpose of their privilege is to pour back into us, then I failed them. Hmm. But if I look back on a, on a community um, that has been economically mobilized um, if I look back on, on a community that is being led by, by the scholars that I've trained who have occupied positions of power and they're using that power responsibly to make other people's lives better, um, that's what I would consider success. Mm. And um, that's what I would take joy in seeing. Love that, brother. Love that, brother. Listen, this is the end of the ride, man. I know
2: that our listeners are are, are trying to figure out desperately how they can follow what you're doing, how they can engage with you. Maybe even a reminder of, of the fact that the book is called Miseducated. Go get it now. Tell the folks whatever's on your heart to tell them, but give them ways to follow the progress of you and HDCDP.
3: The last thing I will, I would leave um, folks with is is something that that is so powerful uh, to to me, and, and they're they're not my words, um, but but David's inspired me and become the framework for for this story, um, this movement. That, that we've discussed today. And um, it's the words of Langston Hughes. And uh, in 1926, Langston Hughes penned these words. He said, I am the darker brother. They, they send me to eat in the kitchen when company comes. But I laugh, and I eat well, and I grow strong. But tomorrow, tomorrow I'll be at the table when company comes. Nobody will dare say to me, eat in the kitchen then. Besides, They'll see how beautiful I am, and they will be ashamed. What I teach my students and what I hope everybody who's listening to this will understand is is what Langston Hughes gives us permission to do. And, And he talks about tomorrow I'll be at the table. It means he's not waiting for permission He's not waiting for no one to invite him in. He understands that he has the power to enter any space, to break down any barrier of opportunity, to shatter any glass ceiling. Um, He understands the same thing that we got to understand, which is if you walk into a space and you don't see a seat, bring one. If you walk into a space and you don't see a table, build one. Because at the end of the day, we all have a moral responsibility to blaze trails in the spaces where we belong. And as you mentioned earlier, to be intrusive in the spaces that are not inclusive. Mm. Um, We can be permissionless leaders. Um, That's what we are called to be. That's what we must be if we want to see the advancement of black people. Um, And so if anyone wants to continue to follow me and follow this movement, um, you can find me on social media at BP Fleming. Um, or www.bpfleming.com, Harvard Diversity Project, you can find on all social media platforms. Listen, we are looking to galvanize the entire world to get behind and undergird this movement because it is changing the lives of black and brown children, and we are creating the world that we want to see, and we want everybody to be a part of that creation.
2: Mm, mm -mm. While black, there's nothing more to say. Any attempt at this point would just be silly with that.